HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Leite Sue, host of Word of Mouth. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Woods, your humble, faithful host, here again for you. And damn, is it hot out today in New York. Oh my God, it is going to hit nearly 100 degrees with what they call the heat index, you know, when the humidity and heat meet in an unhappy marriage. And it's only technically the third day of summer. What's going on? But then it's supposed to go down to like the 60s on Sunday. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But stay inside today, people. It's dangerous out there in climate changing America. It's dangerous. You never know what's going to happen. And I saw a guy on the subway coming over here wearing a down jacket. A down jacket. I almost fainted just looking at him wearing that. I don't know what's going on. But down here... Down here in the foodiness fallout shelter, the home of Let's Get Real and Bunker. Down here, we're always nice and cool. It's so comfortable down here because when you dig underground, when you go down like six feet, you know, six feet under, guess what? The temperature underground is always the same. Uh huh. Underground, always the same. Right around 55. Did you know that? Well, at least in like temperate zones of the world, like the non-Arctic zones where there's no permafrost. When there's no permafrost, 55 degrees approximately underground. That's why ideal wine temperature is right around, oh, 55 to 57. That's cellar temperature conveniently. And fermentation of stuff like kimchi and sauerkraut works best around that temp too. It's no coincidence, people. It's how God made it. Oh, wait, no. 
no, 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 no. Well, depends on what your definition of God is, but let's not even go anywhere near that one, okay? Because that's not what we're talking about today. As far as I'm concerned, God is a big pile of microbes controlling our destiny. Anyway, don't panic because you didn't accidentally tune in here to like Fox News or something. We're not talking about God and creation. Nope. You're still here, still with us, still in Bushwick, Brooklyn, still in the foodiness fallout shelter. And see, we're not just about constantly screaming like maniacs about food and foodiness. We're also here to inform you about, you know, classy stuff like like wine and celery temperatures and kimchi and sauerkraut and storing your root crops. And we've talked about that before, but that's not what we're talking about here today on Let's Get Real. No, that was all just me spinning out because it's so hot outside, but not down here in the shelter. No, what I want to talk about because it's so hot today is thirst. Yes, thirst. Human thirst. Not the thirst for knowledge or the thirst for greatness or the thirst for power, but the thirst for liquids because we are alive damn it and all living things need water it's why we can't live on mars yet no water that we know of right it's all about water so can we at least all decide to agree on that on that basic fact of science that all living things need water can we agree on that, or is there some fundamentalist right-wing nut job out there who is now accusing science of making up that fact, too? Oh, humans don't really need water. All they need is Jesus, no water. Can we just agree on that? Is Ted Cruz or that horrible guy in Wisconsin, what's his name, Rick Perry? Is he Wisconsin? Yeah, claiming that hydration is merely a socialist ploy to get us to buy insurance and have unprotected sex? Probably. I'm sure if you dug deep enough... Somebody is. Somebody's claiming that hydration is a socialist plot. But anyway, back to hydration. You know, I, sp- I uh, spun off there for a minute. Back to hydration and how important it is. Now, you all remember Tiny Bungalow, right? I haven't talked about Tiny Bungalow in a while. Tiny Bungalow. Tiny Bungalow is my teeny, teeny, tiny little summer house. No, seriously, it's 400 square feet. It's tiny. Although here in New York, that's, you know, a family of four lives in an apartment that big. What, 100 square feet a person? That's enough. No, Tiny Bungalow is my little summer place, my little retreat up near Peekskill, New York. Do you want to see a picture of Tiny Bungalow? I've been talking about it here for, what, six years now? You want to see Tiny Bungalow? Go to ReynoldsHills.org. Yeah, and on the home page, there's my house. It's on the homepage because it's the cutest one, I think. And also because my husband designed the website. That's my house. And there are some for sale. Uh, Would you like to be my neighbor for the summer? Check it out. There's some houses for sale there. Anyway, a few years ago in tiny bungalow town, tiny bungalow land, a few of us food-focused types who live there, as opposed to the ones who bring Entenmann's cakes and buckets of KFC to the annual potluck dinner. You know who you are, although I'm sure you're not listening to this. Maybe you should. A few of us food-focused types got together, and we decided to create a community garden, a fenced-in community garden, the fence being the key point, because you can't grow anything edible up there in Westchester County without a fence because the wildlife are voracious eaters and it's basically like you're opening an unlimited salad bar for woodland herbivores, complete with bacon bits and croutons and soup. 
So we built a garden and we built a fence. And now about a dozen of us have four by eight foot garden boxes where we grow vegetables and weeds with decidedly mixed results. Lots of weeds. Now, I've had pretty good luck with certain crops up there in my box in tiny bungalow land. My green beans, I grow killer green beans. It's almost foolproof. My sugar snap peas, pretty good. My basil, sometimes the basil's okay. Not so much with the tomatoes and the peppers. I have trouble with the nightshades. Maybe it's my soil. I don't know. I keep trying, though. Every year, trial and error, I keep going back. So this year... I decided what I wanted to grow. I prepped the soil. I mixed in a pile of the community compost that we've been building for years now. I added mulch, and I planted my seeds. My seeds, which I bought from Johnny's, the seed company, in an attempt to avoid the Home Depot, Burpees, Monsanto, tainted realm of industrial gardening complex chemically treated seeds, which are what you generally buy at your big box garden center. Then... After I planted the seeds, I turned on the drip irrigation lines to my box because, like good socialists, we have a drip irrigation system, like in Israel, so we don't waste water. And I waited. And, well, up came the beans and up came the peas, but kind of slowly. And then I realized we were having the driest march on record. My plants were not hydrated. Remember we're talking about hydration today? And I am getting to the point. My little baby plants needed more water. So we turned up the water levels on the drip irrigation system, and things started to grow. So then I got a few heirloom tomato plants from the local Brooklyn Food Co-op because I didn't want to buy the ones from Home Depot that are sprayed with neonicotinoid pesticides, which are why you never see any bees in the garden department at Home Depot. Yeah, right? Never think about that? Anyway, the tomatoes went in the ground after Memorial Day, which is the rule of thumb for planting tomatoes in my zone. And I waited, and I watered some more and I added some organic fertilizer and I increased the water amount again and I waited and I waited another week and suddenly everything started to grow like a lot maybe it was the fertilizer maybe the increased water maybe it was the longer warmer days but suddenly shit was growing in there yeah the stuff that I planted it grew but there was something else growing There was something else climbing up from between the green bean plants, this phantom menace alien invasive plant that was climbing and it was full of tendrils and gigantic leaves. And it looked sort of like a zucchini or a cucumber, but I didn't know because I didn't plant zucchini or cucumbers. Something alien had taken root, an invader. I don't know. Zucchini, cucumbers, I can't tell yet. I think what happened is those seeds came through in the compost. I think some seeds that never decomposed and never composted and lasted through the winter found themselves in a nice, cozy, irrigated, warm, fertilized womb in which to sow their evil spawn. Now, I love zucchini and I love cucumbers. And if that's what this squash vine monster is that's taken over my garden, either of them, I'm good with that. Hey, you know, free vegetables. And I've Googled pictures of the leaves and the tendrils and the flowers, but I still can't quite figure out one what, what, what unasked for gift I am about to receive from the gardening gods. Cukes or zooks? Great. I'll take it. But this shit is taken over the box. And I've had to train and trellis and tie up everything else to keep it all separate. 
Because if this body snatcher like vine is going to keep growing everywhere and colonize the box and then give me like one stupid, stunted, unripe pumpkin in October, then we're going to have a problem. But I think by next weekend, I'll be seeing tiny fruit on some of those flowers. And so I'll know. I'll know what it is. As soon as I can identify it, it'll be life or death for the body snatcher plant. Because if I can get it out and I don't want it and I can pull it without killing everything else in the process, it'll be great. But if it's something I want, it stays. It gets more water. It's okay. But it really is like an invasion of the body snatchers. An alien pod landed in my garden and it's sucking the garden dry of water and nutrients and it's taken over everything. And I'm I'm a little freaked out. I feel kind of violated by this plant. It's like its tendrils are creeping into my dreams. It's taking over my psyche. It's an alien, most likely an alien species sent by Monsanto or maybe Burpee to take over and destroy my organic non-industrial heirloom seeds. I bet that's what it is. It's like a little time bomb sent by them because I dared to defy the Home Depot garden gods and now a super strain of squash is coming to get me, to suck me and my garden dry of all water and all nutrients. So why not just yank it out? Be the boss of Tiny Town Gardenville and decide who lives and who dies. Play God, so to speak. Well, I don't because you know what? I'm curious and I'm cheap, thrifty cheap thrifty if this invading vine is cucumbers or zucchinis then i get a whole crop of free vegetables without even trying and i hate not knowing how a story turns out at the end i'll finish a terrible book that i can't stand just to learn how it ends and so i wait meanwhile the amount of water these things are sucking up is crazy like audrey too in little shop of horrors that kind of crazy. Demanding more and more blood from poor, hapless Seymour. This water-sucking vegetable is growing ever higher. It's starting to climb the adjacent 15-foot tennis court fence. And it's threatening to wipe out my poor little sugar snap peas. Those little sweeties, they're running for their lives. They're climbing up their own little trellis, afraid of the squash monster that's bearing down on them. But like I said, I'll be back up there on Friday. And hopefully we'll have an answer by then. And I'll either live to tell the tale and eat a pile of zucchini, or I'll become plant food myself as the vine traps me in its maw and swallows me whole. Stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. 
Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides. So the amount of water required to sustain this alien invader in my garden, it's a lot, but it's not really an issue. It, it's not really the issue here. I mean, we're, we're still in a slight drought here in the Northeast, even though we just had some crazy torrential rain, but we're not really worried. It's not so much about the water. We have the drip system and the drip system's going to drip. Drip's going to drip, despite who's doing the drinking. So it kind of doesn't matter. But those are some thirsty freaking plants, my friends. Um, Oh, okay. So wait a minute. This was supposed to be about dehydration, right? And not really about cucumbers. Oh, yeah. So back to that. And anyway, all the water going into the plants ultimately comes back to us in the form of food, right? You get lots of moisture from your vegetables, and that's good. That's hydration. That's what the show's about today, hydration. And all those leaves create all kinds of oxygen, so that's okay, too. It's a perfect system, or at least I tell myself. So a study came out a few weeks ago, and the study was, and I read the study. I didn't just read, like, about it somewhere, like in the Times. I actually read the study, like like an academic kind of person. Yeah. So a study came out a couple weeks ago about kids and hydration, or more correctly, kids and dehydration. And in this study that I think went on for four years and covered like 4,000 kids, researchers recently found that more than half of American kids are chronically dehydrated, especially boys. Mm -hmm. More than half dehydrated, especially boys, especially non-white boys. Not that that's anything racist. It's just what the study said. Okay? So everybody just calm down. Now, I mentioned this last week on the show when we were here in the shelter with guests. We were yucking it up last week with the sarcastic nutritionists. And we were talking about this because he's a public health person, nutritionist, and she's a therapist. And we were talking about this. And I mentioned that I am positing a theory. I'm floating a theory that the symptoms of dehydration, which range from lethargy to irritability to lack of focus, lack of concentration, fatigue, that these symptoms also just happen to be the same symptoms that they find in kids who are diagnosed as having things like attention deficit or disorder or ADHD. D. Huh. Hmm. Or any of those other, you know, processing disorders that today's medical, parental, pharmaceutical, industrial complex loves to label all of our kids with in order to medicate them into submission. Now, before everybody jumps all over me because I don't have kids and I don't know, let me just say I understand there are plenty of legit disorders that require medication. But if more than half of America's kids are dehydrated and the symptoms of dehydration are just like the symptoms of all these things we're medicating them for, wouldn't it make sense to first address perhaps the fact that the kid might be just dehydrated and not disordered? 
And also maybe while you're at it, look at how much sugar the kid is eating and what kind of crappy food the kid is eating and whether the kid gets enough sleep. Um, you know, these are just crazy ideas put out there by a, you know, childless nut job somewhere in a, down in a shelter in Brooklyn. Just saying. Maybe, just maybe, these kids aren't disordered. Maybe they're just thirsty. Maybe it's just thirst. Maybe pumping them full of sports drinks and juice-flavored drink pouches and Mountain Dew and Diet Sprite isn't such a good idea after all. Hmm. Now, the researchers found that some kids in the study actually drank zero plain water in a typical day. Zero. Not an ounce of actual plain water in a day. They got all their water via other beverages and their food. And while most people get about 20% of their daily water from the moisture in their food, like vegetables and fruits, I'm pretty sure I can bet the entire zucchini ranch on the fact that these kids aren't getting a big dose of fruit and vegetable-based water either. I think your average kid who's not drinking any water and only drinking Capri Sun and Purple Gatorade is probably not sitting down to a giant plate of kale and cucumbers for dinner. Just saying, okay? So no water from food since, you know, Cool Ranch Doritos and Chicken Nuggets aren't exactly juicy. And no water from water is being put into them. Just processed shit and bottled sugary drinks. So as the saying goes, water, water everywhere, but not in these kids' urinary tracts because that's how they measured their dehydration by testing their pee, by the way. Something like urinary motility. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Something about pee. Now, one reason that was given for this, other than the obvious one that all they drink is this processed crap, was that even though all American public schools who participate in the National School Lunch Program are required by law to provide fresh drinking water for their students at lunchtime. Some schools don't even have working water fountains anymore due to their long-neglected, crumbling, decaying infrastructure. And in some schools, the fear of lead in their ancient pipes has prompted the removal of water fountains. Now, I get that. I know our inner city public schools are crumbling and are in dire need of overhaul. And yes, some have older buildings and perhaps there's lead in the pipes. I get all of that. But you know what? Municipal water systems put other minerals into the water to trap the lead. It chelates the lead. And so the lead doesn't actually leach into the water. So you're not actually getting lead in your drinking water, even if it's coming from lead pipes. Okay, I know that because my father told me and he knows science stuff. Okay, so it's true. So let's take a look at this one. This fear of drinking water from a water fountain because you're afraid of lead. Okay, so we'd rather let the kids drink blue flavored, artificially or sugar sweetened, industrially produced beverages in chemically leaching plastic bottles than have them drink fresh water with only potentially trace amounts of lead coming from the pipes. Um, hello? And the drink companies and bottlers are all too happy to provide the craptastic beverage selection, of course, at a huge discount to the schools so that they can create these young consumers. Now, even if there is bottled water available, what kid, what kid in their right mind would choose a bottle of water over purple juicy jazz in a Mylar pouch? Right? I mean, if I were that kid, I would choose the purple stuff. 
So it's like the moms of today, the parents of today, who will go totally ballistic over a kid not wearing elbow, knee, and head protection when riding a scooter or a tricycle. But then they'll give that kid a bag of cheesy poofs and a juice box for a snack. Now, which is more dangerous in the long run, a skinned knee or diabetes? Which is easier to cure, a skinned knee or diabetes? Which poses the greater threat over the course of a lifetime? Now, I'm going to say let them fall down and skin their knee and bang their head. But then I'm not a parent, which is probably a good thing. So American kids, on top of being the fattest generation ever and the least physically active generation ever, and now the most dehydrated kids ever, even though they're constantly sucking on those little punch-top straws in the boxes and the sippy cups, it turns out, if it's not water in the cups, then the sugars and colorings and flavorings and chemicals are just inhibiting their hydration. Good job, America. Yet again, well done. Maybe you do deserve Ted Cruz. Or that Wisconsin guy. Now, do you know any kids of elementary school age who are endurance athletes? Think about it. Do you know any, oh, third or fourth graders who are true endurance athletes? Kids who compete in extreme tot sports, the ultra marathoners of the toddler world, a junior high decathlete? No, you don't. And I don't either. So why do we feed kids drinks that were originally designed to serve professional athletes who only after multiple hours of exercise in hot sun needed to drink them? Why? Just swiping for too many hours on an iPad mini while you're fisting in the goldfish crackers cause such levels of dehydration that the only remedy is a 20 ounce green Gatorade? I don't know. I don't think so. I had never even tasted Gatorade until I started doing longer running races back when I was running. I had never even had it. It wasn't available when I was a kid. It wasn't in bottles. It wasn't sold anywhere. Now it's ubiquitous. I had never even tried it until I started running. And then I started doing longer races, and they would alternate water stations with Gatorade stations. But the Gatorade was watered down so that you wouldn't drink it and then throw up from the sugar. So I would take a little sip every couple miles just to get some salt and some sugar back in me. And it helped. Certainly perked me back up, brought back my electrolyte levels. I could feel the difference. But I was running 8 or 10 miles in the heat. And then I would chase it down with some water just to make sure. Now I see kids and teens and adults who are so obviously not athletes. Um, Let's call a spade a spade here. Not athletes. Sucking back 32-ounce bottles of the stuff while strenuously remaining upright sitting in traffic or struggling to hold on to a crowded subway train pole that's not exactly extreme endurance athletics my friends that's not running a marathon that's not completing a decathlon that's just barely being awake something isn't right here and as i've said before and possibly the only bit of science that you me rick perry and the pope can all agree on is that water sustains life. Water creates life. We are water. However you want to define life and when life begins and what happens to life and who created your life, uh, it's all about water. We can't deny that science, right? I mean, there, there's, no one's going to shoot that one down, I hope. So how did we get so far away from it? How did we, 
how did we spurn it so intensely and so intentionally? How did we get so far away from our need for it? How did we create this need to disguise it and sweeten it and color it and flavor it? It doesn't taste bad. It tastes like water. My alien squash plants love it. I love it. We should all love it. It's the very building block of our physical being. Water. And it shouldn't be blue or fizzy. Well, it could be carbonated. That's right. But it shouldn't be blue. Nothing you drink should be blue. It's like drinking Windex. Now, I, I drink water all day. I start out with tea in the morning, and then I switch over to water, and then I have another tea in the afternoon, and then I go back to water. I carry a metal water bottle with me, and I fill it up like a good eco-earth citizen should. I hate the idea of bottled water. It makes me insane to see people buying it, especially here in New York City, where we have the best municipal water system in the country. Do people not get what a scam bottled water is? Do they not see that they're being scammed? It's like the most obvious Scam. When I'm at Costco and I see people stacking their cart tie with bottled water, along with flats of sports drinks and Capri Sun packs, of course, I really seriously want to punch them in the face. Literally, I want to go around to the carts and I want to punch people in the face. Do they realize how incredibly lucky we are to live in a country that provides free, clean, safe drinking water to everyone, everywhere? Okay, well, not everywhere, because a lot of America's water systems actually are contaminated by industrial runoff and fracking and pollutants and all kinds of biological hazards. So it's true. Not every municipal water system is safe and good. But you can install a filter or a UV system. That works. In so many parts of the world, water isn't a given. Hydration, dehydration, actually, <laughs> is a fact of life. It's a, Acquiring your water is a necessity that requires hard physical labor. Miles and miles of walking and carrying heavy jugs around. You think our fat, drug-addled kids would be able to do that? Our fat, drug-addled kids can't take a drink from a water fountain or fill a refillable water bottle every day from the tap? They don't have to walk four miles up and down a mountain to fill up a jug with water and carry it home on their head in the blazing sun. All they have to do is get up from their chair. And drink sugar and chemically enhanced bottled drinks made by you-know-who, Foodiness Inc., and are therefore mild to moderately dehydrated and display the same behavior as conveniently diagnosed attention disorders, which are then medicated by you-know-who, Big Pharma Inc., and as I always say, it's a foodiness solution to a foodiness problem because they're probably washing down those meds with what? Gatorade. It's insane. Okay, I'll calm down now. The good news is... Soda consumption in the U.S. is down. Yes, soda consumption is down. McDonald's is closing stores. General Foods is taking artificial colors out of Lucky Charms and Tricks. And soda consumption is down. The bad news is sports drinks and juice drinks consumption is up, 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 way up. Everybody's got juice mad. And if one more effing juice place opens up here in New York, I may not be able to take it anymore. But here's a good one. There's always that little ironic, haha. Told you so. Dentists are now reporting much more acid-related tooth decay problems popping up now from all the extra juice people are drinking. Because when you drink the juice, it swishes around in your teeth and it stays in your mouth. And the acid is now calling, causing all sorts of new tooth decay problems in adults, the adults who drink the juice. So ha, that's a good one. It actually makes me wish 
that I was a dentist so I could make a fortune off of those juice-guzzling suckers. And then I would buy a big house with a giant fenced-in yard, and I would plant a garden, and I would grow the biggest, juiciest alien invasion body snatcher zucchini that I could find. And that would show them. Oh, look, we're all out of time. Well, that's it for this week's Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. Check out our Facebook page. I also have my website, letsgetrealshow.com. Check out all the other shows on heritageradionetwork.org. Remember, we are listener-supported, so join us. Please join us. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 